Hey guys, welcome back to another solo podcast. This is Solo 24, I believe. I don't think I double-checked what number it was before I started this, so that was probably a bad mistake. But hey guys, uh, I hope you're all well, and I hope you're having a, a fantastic week so far. Wherever you're watching this, whether you're doing cardio, whether you're... Well, you should not be listening to this if you're training because you're mental. I see some people listen to podcasts whilst they train. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? How the hell are you doing that? That's not possible unless you're potentially deloading at the very at the very worst. But yeah, so I hope you're all well and I hope your training weeks are going good. Mine is going fantastically as always. I'm going to start with an update on myself. So not that my training goes as always fantastically. It's not It's not always fantastic, as you know. But I will start with the update on, on myself and then tell you guys where I'm at and obviously what the plans are for, for the coming weeks. Got a couple of interesting weeks coming up. Busy, different, life stuff happening, which is always a little bit of a challenge. But we like a challenge, don't we? So um, I'm definitely up for the challenge and up for trying to stay as, as, as adherent as possible to the long-term goal within within these sort of more challenging or potentially just difficult weeks in terms of just getting everything ticked off. My box is ticked, as we know. So today is, is Thursday, as always, my rest day. So week of training so far since we, we last spoke, which was actually Sunday when I did the podcast with George. So Monday through Wednesday of training. So pull, push, and then legs for me. Pull was very, very good. I trained up at Flex and Tone with two guys that are down from Vienna. They're, they're sort of traveling around looking at different gyms and uh, they've they've been to the States They've and they've now come across the UK. They went to, I think, Prophecy Gym, Strength Asylum, Kings. They did all the main ones. Frontline, Flex and Tone, really, really good. Uh, they loved Flex and Tone. We obviously did a pull session, so I got to try a few of the pieces that I did want to try for pull there. And that means that I have completed the... The trilogy of flex and tone sessions, I've done push, pull, and legs. So it was legs first with George, push with uh, Josh McHale, and then pull with those guys. And I'll definitely be back for more sessions. And and like I said, I think of the podcast last week with George when we discussed our favorite gyms. If you have not been to flex and tone, you absolutely need to go. It's like one of one of my favorite places in the UK, in, in, in my opinion. Like legit places. It's a, it's a place to me. It's not just a gym. It's an environment. It's a place. It's 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 a it's an environment in which I just love to be in, and it's it's one of those that, that certainly ticks those boxes. So, very excited to do some more sessions there. As when we're up in up in Sheffield, of course, Ultraflex will be just base. It will be absolute base, and what a fantastic base to have. However, I will be as always traveling around to some different gyms. So there is some some really really good gyms in, in Sheffield alone let alone like Sheffield, Rotherham area. There's some amazing gyms around there. Um, S20, S20 Physique is around there. There's another gym that I've trained about, Lewis Rossi before, that's just absolutely stacked full of kit. Obviously, Ultraflex is, is the best, and that's where the hub will be. But in terms of just having some slightly different environments and atmospheres, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate in terms of just getting in a different atmosphere, a different gym, it's helpful it just gives you a bit of a breath of fresh air sometimes and I do really like that especially in prep I love having a base and to be fair like most of my prep sessions will be performed at one gym only and that will be ultra flex but now and again just getting that little bit of a breath of, of fresh air some new faces and a new environment does do a world of good both mentally and, and potentially even physically as, as well so so yeah that's that and then came into push Push I trained solo at Temple, 
which I'm really loving. If you've not tried Temple in Birmingham, they've renovated, they've refurbished, and they've got some fantastic kit in there and just a really lovely atmosphere. Uh, the the guys behind the desk are fantastic, and they you know they they let me put on my playlist the other day when I was in there filming with Hannah, and they were very supportive of Hannah being in there and filming us and. Just generally like a nice environment, people training very hard and good pieces of equipment. And it's really nice to see like I've gone there and then a few other people have just sort of followed suit afterwards and but and really enjoyed it. And if I can open up like people's minds to different gyms that they can train at and, and have, have fun. Obviously it is city centre Birmingham, so it's a little bit difficult to get into if you are coming from the outside. The outside. Sounds like we're in some sort of fucking bubble. Crane world enter from the outside but, but but yeah that sounds like some weird fucking porno anyway i'm gonna s stop being an idiot right so wow that's really stupid okay so basically yeah temple gym loving it push session and uh, again another a good good session for me there obviously using some slightly different p different pieces of equipment but still feeling pretty strong considering the amount of the deficit that i'm in so my training day calories are like 2,000. My off day calories are 1,800. Like this is way lower than I've ever been in contest prep. And the weight is coming off quick, very quick. And that was the goal. That was always the goal with the mini cut, just to take off weight very fast. A few people have been commenting on my Instagram saying that uh, my face is looking too lean, which is certainly not. It's looking leaner, but it's definitely not looking too lean. And someone said, someone someone sent me and prescribed me a refeed plan. <laughs> they were like, this is what I want you to refeed on today. I was like, shut up. Um, but yeah, so mini cuts going well. Hit new lows this week of like 178. I was this morning. Scale actually said like 177.2. And you know when you hop on again and you just double check and then it goes up. And you're like, fuck, I wish I'd just taken that first one. And then you sort of mentally step away and you're like, should I just take that first one? And then obviously you just have to take the one that's most consistent. So I ended up taking, I think, 178 was the most consistent. So it's always like when, when the scale weight doesn't tell you exactly what you want, you're like, I need new scales immediately. <laughs> um, which is, I've done that so many times in contest preps. I've bought new scales. When the scales haven't been telling me what I wanted, I've been like, right, okay, cool, new scales. Um, it must be the scales. In reality, it's just the, the scales... Aren't, aren't playing ball, but they're definitely playing ball in, the, in this in this mini cut. Um, of course, just really happy with with how things have gone and how happy, or, or I'm happy with the response rate as well. It's like, it's been pretty consistent. So that gives me good confidence going into 2020, knowing that I'll respond fairly well to, to, to putting back calories initially. And I, I usually, mostly across the board, respond a little better to a slower deficit or a slower, more restrained deficit and a very aggressive one. Um, because I felt like a lot of prep relative fatigue very quick. And this is why going very, very, very fast and very aggressive with a deficit straight out of the gate is awful. Like I've, I went to town today and on the way back from town, yeah, fair play. I'm like actually at the end of a mezzo as well. So I'm like a combination of diet and training fatigue. But like I was dragging ass like i'm not i'm not really that hungry like the hunger is fine i don't really care the first week was the only week where i was like okay i'm a little bit hungry here and i cause just because i wasn't used to it it was like new but now i'm like i don't care like I, I don't care about the hunger like but all i want now all i'm excited for in terms of getting calories up is just more energy 
It's the same as the end of a contest sprint. I don't care about the hunger. I literally just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't care less. But all I want is just more energy. And because I just feel like I'm dragging my feet a little bit. Like walking back from town, dragging feet. I'm like, nah, I'm not game for this for too too much longer. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the last months or so of prep where everything becomes a bit of a drag. And you get the occasional day where you feel good. But most of the days are a drag, especially when you're digging for fat loss. If you're in a position where George is that, like obviously calories are coming up a lot from carbs, your energy suddenly skyrockets. He'll get his shit days for sure, but his energy and his ability to pick his feet up and go is so much better with the carbs coming in. So, yeah, that's that. And then obviously this, well, no, not this time next week, but this time next week I will be in Gran Canaria, but we leave on Tuesday. So we fly out on Tuesday to Gran Canaria for a week. So I'm really excited for that. Obviously just going to be great to spend some really good quality time with Danny and get away from work a little bit. So there won't be a podcast next week. Uh, it's funny, obviously. Me and Danny were going back and forth today so whether we are going to record one together. And then obviously had all the questions come through and there were mainly ones directed purely at myself. So I'd noted them down and were ready to go. So I kind of, that's my bad. And I definitely... Uh, will record a podcast with Danny very, very soon because I know you guys love them and, and enjoy having a female perspective on things. So I did mention recording one on holiday, which was quickly abolished. So we're not gonna <laughs> not gonna do that. As you can probably understand because it's important for us to, to switch off. So we'll do one probably when we get back at some point. But like I said, it is mental in the sense that the coming weeks for me and, and Danny are gonna be pretty 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 taskful. Um hence why the holiday is pretty timely because gonna go away for a week get back and then pretty much my tenancy is up here and we move into our new place and that that involves obviously moving all of my stuff Danny's not got lots here which is good but it involves all in, moving all of my stuff up and then within that week I've got two back-to-back shows and quite inconveniently they're both down south and I have to be at both of them absolutely like can't miss them both I can't miss any at the moment so I've got um, back-to-back southern shows and I've got George and Josh in, in the first one the BNBF and then secondary to that the UK DFBA I've got three in that I've got George Josh again and Nick Chapman as well so um, and I've got a guy competing in California this weekend in men's physique Daniel Ferro physique on Instagram and the goal for him really is to get a WNBF pro cards in men's physique I really think he has that kind of caliber of potential it just depends whether the class is, is is heavy enough in competitors for it to be a super pro qualifier. And if it is, he, he if he wins his class and takes the overall, which I think is heavily possible, that will be the first pro card that I've ever produced. But I, I do think that that's definitely something he can achieve. Just depends on the lineup, of course. Like, but but from what I have seen of him and what I've seen of people that win their pro cards in the past in that in that physique federation in the, in, in physique in that federation. I think there's a high chance. So um, if you guys want to follow him, he is Pharaoh Physique on Instagram. Just give him a, a good luck message. That would be heavily appreciated. So it's F-E-R-O Physique. And uh, yeah, just, just, just pop in his DMs and say good luck for the weekend. And if anyone does that, I really appreciate it because it's always nice to have the feeling of support behind you when you are going into a competitive weekend. So yeah, other than that, I think that's about it in terms of updates for, for myself. And when I get back from holiday, it will be about obviously reprogramming my training to fit into Ultraflex. And I will most likely, as I said on my story the other day, 
go into a three-on-one-off split. Most likely, that's what I'm earing towards, just because I want to try a slightly higher frequency. Because so I've been running the three-on-one-off, two-on-one-off for quite some time now, and I've just looked through my week in terms of like scheduling check-ins and how I've been scheduling my workload, and I think it's feasible now for me to do the way that I've split my workload throughout the week. It's actually feasible for me to do three-on-one-off, three-on-one-off, which is exciting because I'd like to be able to do that if I possibly can. So it will obviously look like pull, push, legs, off, pull, push, legs, off. So I'll, I'll, I will see. But again, obviously, it de- depends on recovery capacity. And that's actually recovery capacity is something I just talked about for half an hour with uh, Raina, a uh, Raina trainer on Instagram. Um, so yeah, that's a Raina. I, talk, I talked with him uh, about recovery for just half an hour. So it is the Raina trainer podcast. You'll be able to find that. So check that out. That'll be live next week. Obviously mine live straight away, but his will be live uh, next week. So yeah, right. Let's crack into some questions and then see where it takes us. So the first question is someone asked the difference between like how can you tell the difference between people who really want it or like the like the idea of, of wanting it within physique development then getting on stage just how can I tell whether someone's got that edge to be able to both want it and give everything towards it without just just liking the idea of potentially just getting a goal or winning a show or developing high levels of muscle mass and Honestly, it's very easy to tell within the first like months of coaching because I can tell by simply the the frequency of their adherence and how consistent they are on a day-to-day basis. And most importantly, how easy that consistency comes. So if someone's really dragging themselves towards just adhering to an off-season and they're occasionally eating out they're doing lots of things off plan and they're not they're not quite staying to the curve. They're not try they're not quite sticking to the curve with things and they, they frequently go away from what is the ideal setup. And of course you, you will have people like this and that's very normal. But the frequency at which they come away from plan and the frequency at which they make excuses and even excuses for tiny things. Um, and a lot of my clients will know this, like even excuses for like not providing progress images. Like that for me is a sign of of someone that's not willing to give it everything. Like, why are you not taking progress images? Like, yeah, okay, cool. You say you give everything in the gym, but why are you not giving me the data? Why are you not giving me the progress images? Like, I need to see them to be able to know that you're wanting to give everything to this. So it's the adherence to, to the coaching process as well as everything that surrounds the coaching process. And I have some clients that will literally every single week work like clockwork and they know who they are. They know who they are. And those those clients are getting the best results out of anyone, anyone, hands down, because they just work like, like I've said, like clockwork. They don't, they don't switch off at all to the idea of veering away. And if they do veer away, they're very honest and it's very infrequent. And it's like a, a normal amount of veering away from from a from a plan or a protocol. It's a it's a very very understandable amount. It makes sense, okay. And there's always a reason why. It's not unknown as to why they've come away from the plan. So if you really want to like under like give it everything and you want to show people that you want to give it everything, 
not just liking the idea of, of, of reaching a goal or achieving something, then you absolutely have to be 100% adherent and consistent for as, as long of a period of time as you can. And that revolves around everything you do, every moment of your day. And I know that sounds pretty extreme, but what you got to understand is like bodybuilding is extreme, whether you like it or not. And it is something that's always going to be extreme. It's an extreme sport with extreme demands. And you, you have to be willing to sort of live up to those demands if you want to see your, your best results. So that's in, in short my answer to, to that question. A really good question coming up next. So it's dealing with motivation to train when you're in a deficit. So we all know that with calories coming down, our motivation for anything drops off. So our motivation for walking to the fucking shops drops off. Our sex drive, of course, drops off. So our motivation to, to, to have sex drops off cons- massively, okay? And uh, just just generally day-to-day, our, our drive for life will, will slightly diminish, okay? However, I find that, that the fire and the fuel that, that you will encompass by being so driven by a goal shouldn't change your motivation to train too much. There will be days, of course, where you feel like you're really dragging it and you're dragging through the dirt and it's going to be a hard session and that's fine. And then those sessions will, will come and go. But you you will have those sessions, absolutely. And I 100% understand those because I've had them myself. You know, you'll have those sessions where you, you don't really want to be there. But every time I go into a session and to answer this question, like how to deal with it, Remember how badly you want to achieve whatever goal you've set out to achieve. That That is what should be driving you. I think the issue when, when people start to see that level of motivation dropping off is because they realize that they might not be in a position at this present moment in time to achieve what they really want to achieve. And they think, almost why am I doing this kind of thing? They may want to win and they've realized the caliber of the surrounding competition, and they're like, fuck, like, realistically, am I going to win this? Maybe not. And I, I promise you, when you start training with a pure winner's mentality, like, I am going to fucking win, everything changes. Everything changes. You, like, your motivation to train will be extremely high throughout the entire process if you start training purely, purely focused and driven on, on winning, winning something. Um, and I know that that sounds sort of big-headed in some ways, but how do you imagine like Conor McGregor wakes up to do his training when knowing he's like the champ champ, like he knowing he's like the best, some of the best of all time? Like how how do you imagine the goats of any sport wake up to train? Yeah, they'll have their down days, but they know that what they're doing is getting them to the top and relinquishing that that top element of things that top caliber of athlete, like that motivation is, is incredible. And that's purely reflected in something like my experience after I won Worlds. I went insane, like stupid, stupid, insane motivation. After Worlds, I think after winning itself on the day, I slept for two hours, like from, from the point at which we got in, I had some oats and went to bed and I slept for about two hours, and I woke up at, at 4.35 a.m., my normal time, and I got back on the treadmill, and I did my normal morning cardio. 
I remember Jack Stanya messaging me and saying, "What? The, where the hell are you? Why aren't you? Why aren't you in the room?" And I was like, "I'm, I'm doing my CV." And he was like, "You're a nutcase. You're finished." And I was like, riding this incredible kite of like motivation, and it did my CV. And then I, I think I trained twice in that day. I went to the, I went to Greater Boston Fitness twice. And uh, genuinely, I told Jack Jack Piad when I came back from the trip, I was like, "Jack, I think genuinely I've lost muscle on this." Uh, on this trip because I was just training and uh, training like an absolute animal twice a day and doing crazy steps walking around Boston just living off motivation and, and adrenaline and I think if the result had been different perhaps perhaps I would have felt differently about that maybe not because I know how driven I was after the BNBF show when I came second to TAF I was so driven I was so internally motivated by not succeeding so I, I don't know whether it's the idea of like, okay, I can succeed and the, the, the understanding that I might be able to do something. Like, for example, George said in his recent video, you know, like he's weighing up his chances against competitors and he's being realistic. But he knows deep down that he's got a real good shout at winning a qualifier and placing well at a final. And that's probably uh, alongside him wanting to achieve the goal of being super shredded is driving him. So reality, the whole thing boils down to with this motivation question is, what is your internal force? Like, what is really pushing you towards what you want to achieve? And and this is where, this, in these moments, this is where it's, it's dictated the, the results on stage. It really does come down to passion. Like, it really does, because the, the passionate people, even the most genetically elite, they don't make it to where they should be making it. Yeah, they might win a qualifier on a whim, out of shape, and not quite where they need to be. But they won't win a British final. You know, it takes passion and good genetics and good everything to win at a British final level nowadays. You know, to get a natural pro card, it probably takes genetics. It probably takes incredible work ethic. But that all combined over years and years of training, not just a year or two, not just a prep years and years and years of effort so as always I, I i ramble i go on several different tangents but hopefully that that does answer the question and for for this specific individual that that is struggling with a little bit of motivation to train hopefully you can you can take something from that and apply it to your training immediately in a positive way so next question is a little bit of a i guess a a question that, that applies to to, to the, the final sort of finishing points of the contest prep process. And I, I'm going to cover a couple of questions here because there were a few that sort of coincided, okay? So the, the first one is sort of like, Carl asked about whether you'd want to come in more shredded or versus going for a fuller look. And and how would you decide that? What what really is the uh, consensus or the, the idea behind coming in fuller versus coming in more dry or shredded so ultimately like in natural bodybuilding nowadays you've got to be super super diced to be even like in with a chance of doing well so the idea of coming in full usually means that you're coming in out of shape in comparison to the rest of the field or the people that are going to be doing well so coming in super duper full is mostly most of the time a bad plan and you'll just get beaten by someone who's super duper dicey 
that's usually what's going to happen natural bodybuilding nowadays. However, there are instances in which I think people can overdo the shredded look and overdo the approach of coming in as diced as possible. And what happens there is not necessarily are they dragging away from, from fullness, but in the pursuit for maximal condition, they've just dragged away so much muscularity. And they end up looking just very stringy and very small on stage. And at the end of the day, what we're looking at, and I actually had a very good discussion on the way to Scotland with Lee about this. Why do we want to judge someone who's just got striated glutes? Like, what's, what have they really achieved there? They've just dieted, dieted themselves to a point where they got striated glutes. And they've, yeah, they've trained for a bit and they have enough glute muscle to get striated glutes. But... Isn't bodybuilding meant to be about like muscularity to a decent degree? And it, and it really is. And so if you came in with striated glutes, but there is someone there who doesn't necessarily have striated glutes, but is lean and has really nice flow, balance, proportions, and lovely muscularity and fullness, they might beat you. So the whole idea of the sh most shredded guy wins is is kind of void in, in, all, in, in all honesty. So... Yes, get lean. Yes, take it all off and get as fat-free as possible. But don't neglect the other I, the other surrounding factors that influence the judging, the other criteria. Balance, proportion, symmetry, fullness, conditioning, muscularity. Like, if everything plays a role. Posing, presence. I think people focus too much on, like, one criteria nowadays. And they're just getting lost. And you see a lot of people turn up on stage actually not even looking shredded because they're so they're so dieted down they just look flat and stringy and they don't even look shredded because what you got to remember is that conditioning is nothing without fullness i remember hearing that from from someone i really look up to um i, I heard it at some bmbf shows from from vicky and david and um they always used to say like you know they have this whole thing with like carbs for conditioning kind of thing um and it and it does hold weight holds a lot of weight because a full muscle belly, like a full muscle, full of intramuscular fullness, like it, that looks way different to when it's super flat, depleted, stringy, and there's no there's no pressure, there's no volume there. You know when you're flat, like you've done like a deplete or something like that, the muscle just does not represent the same look as it does. And so when you brim it out and you push everything up against the seams and it's like bursting out, that hardness and that level of detail that you get out of just being full is ridiculous. So yeah, like just you can't just be conditioned. You've got to be full. Um, but the bias between full and shredded is something you've got to play about with. Like you know, you you might not nail the first peak. So there might be some clients this year that I, I might like. For example, I might even put George on stage at one of these shows and be like, kind of missed the mark there. We are a bit we're a bit touch flat. Um, which is unlikely as he's in a reverse state, so we're probably going to manage it pretty well. But let's say we come in a touch flat and he's just looking a little little down on muscular fullness. Then the next time we just simply increase carbohydrates a little bit leading into the show and just aim to get that little bit more fullness back on him. And that's something that we'll constantly be aware of. Um, also, it really depends on the lineup. So if the lineup is full of really shredded people and you're bringing like just you're bringing a fuller look, you'll be the one that stands out. And if you're in a lineup of, of people that are very full and you're the shredded one, again, you're going to stand out. Whether that's good or bad, it really depends on what the judges are feeling on that day. And that's 
that's the interesting thing about bodybuilding. It's very subjective, okay? So hopefully that answers the question about coming in treaded versus full. Next question, I'll take it right now, is peak week training. So what do we look at doing on peak week? How would I set up training? Um, and what does that sort of generally look like? Okay, so in terms of the peak week itself, we've got one goal. We want to bring the best possible aesthetic look, okay? So from an aesthetic perspective only, the look needs to be great, all right? So with that being said, what we've got to combat is the accumulation of both diet fatigue and training-induced fatigue and bring down inflammatory responses to not only get in a position where aesthetically the look is good, but also from a like a, a standpoint of like processes within the body, how can we absorb the caloric intake, the extra caloric intake that we're taking in through carbohydrates as well? So that really comes down to how we can balance the nervous system in a way that gets us as heavily parasympathetic as possible, okay? So that sympathetic, parasympathetic dominance, we want to be very heavily parasympathetic in peak week so we can absorb and digest as many, as well, as much of the carbohydrates as we're putting in to optimally peak and hit that, hit, hit the mark, okay? Obviously, stresses itself are going to be high because you're in the week of competition. You know, you're, you're going to be a little bit worried, a little bit sort of anxious about actually competing, that that's going to be weighted, weight on your shoulders as well. So that's a consideration. So bringing down stress is very, very important now. So the peak week itself, I would do probably normal training up until about midweek. And then from midweek onwards, I'd look to situate like a one rest day. Um, and that, that day would probably be the final low day or the final deplete day, the lowest day. And then if this is if I was doing a, a traditional back load, which I'd do with a lot of competitors, especially considering I've got so much refeed data on a lot of my guys and girls. And let's say we do two high days. The two high days usually would be followed suit with two like upper body pump sessions. And the pump sessions, the really the, re the reason behind those is really we just want to tell the carbohydrate where it needs to be going. I'm a big believer in the sense that if we just sit around and eat 700 grams of carbohydrates, are we really getting ourselves in the best environment to deliver that carbohydrate intramuscular? Um, I don't think so. I think that we'd be better off putting ourselves in a position where we at least did something to drive those carbohydrates intramuscular and get them where we want them. So short and sweet upper body pump sessions and de delivering uh, increased blood volume to the muscle cell would be advantageous in my opinion to create the best look and to deliver the nutrients where we want them um, and to, to prevent any also gastric issues as well. Um, I think around the actual day of the show, going for a light morning walk and even a pump up on the day of the show, if possible, is really good too. Again, increasing blood volume and ensuring that we're already starting the processes in which we're gonna drive the carbohydrates that have been ultimately sitting in our stomach and ultimately like circulating in our bloodstream overnight, driving them again exactly where we want them, intramuscular. Okay, so if, you know, for bikini girls that might look like doing some shoulder pump up and glute pump up in the morning of the show, going for a light walk and getting blood volume and, and getting some, again, oxygenated blood around tissue. And for, for male competitors and even, you know, female competitors as well, even posing in the morning, again, just delivering nutrients where they want them, um, assessing your AM look, and obviously judging hydration and meals thereafter as a response to, to how you feel you look in the morning. And to be honest, like, 
I aim to have my 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 bigger guys a, a little spilled the, the, the evening prior to the show, just a little bit, tad bit spilled, and they'll wake up, bang on the money, so we don't have to put in a lot of food on show day, and we really just minimize GI distress on that day, keep the midsection as tight as possible, and, and limit the stresses of the day as well. Like The last thing you want is to be putting in a load of food in a rush on show day, because it's just a nightmare. I've done it before, and it's just not fun. And trying to control stomach your stomach with that as well is, is very, very, very difficult. So I hope that makes sense uh, with regards to peak week training and my my advice. I don't really favor a full rest because I, I just believe that you'll just look flat and the pressure in the muscle will just be low and blood volume will be low and delivery of the carbohydrates will be not so great. But again, each to their own, if you feel that rest really helps, then that might be an advantageous route to try. I think that not training your legs like the last leg session for me would realistically be a Wednesday for a Sunday show, a Tuesday for a Saturday show, just because again, even for a men's physique guy, the systemic demand and thus from a nervous system standpoint, driving you more into that sympathetic state is not favorable for a peak. So leg training, again, just not training the legs sensibly, um, it, or so the sensible approach is to not train the legs at that proximity to the show hope that makes sense next question is what i would do differently next prep so in general i think actually the 2017 prep was was pretty solid i don't think there was much that necessarily went wrong or could have been much much better because ultimately the results were were pretty good I think if anything, I would have changed the, the amount of expenditure I was doing towards the end. I don't think I want to go above 15,000 steps when I next prep. I think if I can avoid doing any more than 15,000, that would save my leg fullness a little bit because doing 20, 25,000 steps a day was, was a bit of a joke towards the end on a consistent basis. I think having periods of time where you do take steps that high is not necessarily an issue. But doing it for months on end really will take away from your lower body fullness. So I'd I'd bring down my steps slightly. I'd favor that. And I'd also not train like a bit of an idiot towards the end. Now, I was in a position very similar to George, uh, actually. And I can relate to a lot of what George says about how he feels and about what he does. Because I did it. And I was just doing more. Like more and more and more and more and more. Uh, adding sets and and just trying to spend longer in the gym because at that point I was reversing and psychologically it's it's quite difficult to to reverse and for me it was it was especially difficult because I had the weight on my shoulders I was competing at a world event and I wanted to do extremely well and and I was just thinking that I need to hold condition because condition was my strong point so I thought doing more just, just would be better uh, and in actual fact, it just was not, you know, it actually lost me muscle mass. So doing my prescribed volume and sticking to it and sticking to what I can efficiently recover from and not basically what the issue with the amount of volume I was doing was there was just a load of junk volume. There was just too much, just basically garbage that wasn't doing much for me. You know, it wasn't offering any advantage over doing less. So... I would, I, I would just refer back to my normal amount of volume, stick to it, 
I wouldn't go over 15,000 steps. And I'd also, like, obviously what I've learned now, for a lot of my prep, my, my meals, my nutrient, nutrient timing was actually very poor. Like, looking back on it was just not good. Like, for a lot of my prep, I was having things like, you know, oats post-workout, which is just not a favorable option, you know, in my opinion, in terms of uptaking carbohydrates. Towards the end, like, midway through and towards the end, my nutrition timing was very, very good. But at the start, like, my knowledge, my knowledge just enhanced massively throughout the prep, and it always will. Like, I think I'll always be able to make better decisions as I advance as a coach and my knowledge increases, but my knowledge was not that vast at the start of my contest prep and and thus that that reflected in some of my decisions and ultimately I always think like could I have looked better if I'd have done something slightly different there and I think perhaps I could which is a, an exciting thing because that means that I can improve in in the next prep right so yeah that's what I would do different I hope that makes sense and uh hope that's something that you can potentially take from that and learn from that with your own preps and make sure that yours are efficient and uh, you can move forwards and, and not make the same mistakes that I make. And when you do reverse, sort of allow yourself to reverse. You know, if you're in a position where your calories are coming up, give yourself a pat on the back and just let it let let it let it happen. Like let it come to you. You know, because you've you've got yourself in that position where you're essentially ahead of the game. You know, you've you've done something where you've become you you've become so lean that you're in contest shape and you can now work caloric intake up that's a position that not many people are in so give yourself a pat on the back for that and almost just switch off to the idea of thinking fuck like shit um i'm eating more calories i'm worried i'm worried i'm worried don't be worried there's nothing to be worried about you've done your job job done well done crack on all right so that's that cool 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 so next question is on maintaining phases at lower volume so this is from marco always asks fairly good questions so do i do phases at lower volume and look to maintain body weight almost like as a i think this is coined by revive stronger as a primer phase so personally i i don't really run these phases if i'm honest i i tend to just do the the standard approach of of, of, of deloading and then moving through another mesocycle I have had phases in which I maintain my body weight for sure. I have I have not just gone through cyclical phases of increasing body weight and then decreasing body weight. I have maintained I maintained 190 to 193 for about one and a half months before I did this mini cut. So I was hovering there for quite a while. And my volume didn't really change that much uh, during that phase. So but but was it low? No. Was I resensitizing to a hypertrophic stimulus? No. Do I think this offers weight or benefit? Potentially. Like, why Why not? Obviously, like, you know, Steve obviously bases a lot of his stuff off the current research. So I imagine that has weight and has benefit. But it's not something I do with myself or my clients. Uh, I think, funnily enough, a lot of my clients would struggle uh, psychologically with the sides, this, this side of, of just sort of like, maintaining and just resensitizing almost getting their body fresh again you know like it's almost like you know i know i know people will, will struggle with a phase like post-show where they're not really in a position to grow so we're just sort of focusing on 
basically just getting calories up and, and, and training at a lower volume and they know that they're not really growing, like that psychologically is a bit hard. To, so to input phases like this in an off season, I think a lot of my clients would struggle just with the psychological approach of not really knowing that they're improving in the acute sense. Obviously in a long-term sense, they are, which is why other people will do these phases. But for me, not a fan. Um, I personally, personally, this is the way I see some things, right? If I wouldn't do it myself, I'm not going to tell my clients to do it. Um, and that's my current stance on on sort of those those phases. I think my deloads are enough to refresh me, and then I'll obviously then appropriately set volume for the next mezzo and move forwards from there. So I hope that makes sense. Next question is my best advice for team competitors. So I spoke about this on my story not too long ago, but I, I will happily discuss it again, maybe in a bit more detail. So first things first is focus on growing because you are in like such a prime phase to grow that you're not gonna get this opportunity very often in your life. So really do focus on just growing as much as you can, getting in lots of food, lots of protein and training extremely hard. Like look up to guys that train really, really hard as teens and they always end up monsters. Like I wish I knew more about bodybuilding and how to program well and how to time my nutrition and things like that when I was a teen. But I grew well when I was a teen because I just trained and I just ate enough and I trained and I got pretty heavy. And that's something that I would recommend to most teens, not getting fat, don't they get this confused. I'm not coming on here and saying you should get fat as a teenager. And I have someone like who's five foot one, send me a photo of them at 280 pounds. Like, AJ, I did exactly what you said. Look at me go. And I'm like, oh fuck, now you gotta go on the biggest loser to get into shape. So like, no, don't do that. Don't be stupid. Um, obviously allocate an appropriate surplus. Do not get to the point where you are literally grabbing on of body fat to your waist. Like, that's not appropriate. Um, but definitely, definitely take it there. Like, don't be afraid to get a little fluffy around the edges. And I think that's appropriate for this phase because you'll be able to take it off really easy because your calories will be really high. Your metabolism is in a great spot. Um, if you've taken your care of your health and you've not done stupid diets when you're young. And you've got this point in time where mechanical tension and the more mechanical tension you can create is so advantageous like you know looking at people like Keefe for example who's you know his his amount of mechanical tension that he's that he's placing on his body at such a young age is like shocking it is shocking uh in, in, in a good way in a great way and that's why he's as dense and as muscular as he is as it at his age because I'm a firm believer very much like JP in the sense that I think mechanical tension is is really the king. And as much force as you can put on your body, like through your body, through load, you're going to grow. Like, you know, it wouldn't... If if, if you saw what Keefe was doing on, on the bar or the dumbbells, cable stack, whatever, machine, and you thought, like, you just think it through, like, he can't be small. You just can't, it's a physical impossibility for him to be small. So what I say to teens is like, make it in the gym a physical impossibility for you to be small. Spend as much time until it takes for you to make it a physical impossibility for you to be small and then look at competing. You know, like I kind of wish that I spent a little bit longer growing when I was younger, a little bit longer before I did my first show, but nevertheless, I learned a lot out of doing a show when I was young. 
you know, and this is what I said on my story, I did learn a lot out of doing that. And I think that it does yield benefit for, for a lot of people in terms of doing a show at that age. But do I think that it's a be all and end all? Absolutely not. Um, do I think that, you know, it, 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 offers, it offers a degree of like experience and offers a degree of, of benefit in some ways? Absolutely. You know, so think really hard before you do compete. Um, obviously, the advice was for team competitors, but my advice kind of resides around growing for as long as you can and really focusing on that as a primary tool, primary goal, or a primary tool, actually, to make you a better competitor, right? And then just outside of that, keep stress levels as low as possible as you would in any phase, and just, just enjoy yourself. Create passion for training first, and don't jump into competing just because you see other people do it. So next question is my off day nutrition. What does it look like and what my fruit intake is like? This is coming off the back of mine and George's podcast where I say the majority of my carbohydrates or pretty much all of them on an off day come from fruit. So I put actually most of my meals on my off day, which is today and Sunday. I put most of them on my story today. So as you can see, like my first meal was like whey and, and fruit. And then I have a couple meals during the day, during the day that are like vegetables um, with a protein source, egg whites or chicken or veg, uh, chicken or veg, chicken or beef. And there again with some amount of fruit on the side usually, uh, with at least one of them. And then pre-bed meal is either oats, depending on like the heat temperature. Like I'm not a huge fan at the moment if it's really hot and humid, especially in this flat. I'm not a huge fan of eating oats. So I'll have just some more fruit and whey because I'm going to have whey as a protein source anyway. And then usually just capping off fats with dark chocolate throughout the day and that's really it for my from off day intake so it's very simple and the fruit as well allows like minimal prep time i don't like waiting around loads for meals it just wastes my time to be honest so and i'm i'm just a big fan of just getting in as much micronutrients as possible like i think it's really had a beneficial aspect on a lot of things for me like skin health everything it's like so i think very very important for for you to to sort of tick that anti antioxidant and phytonutrient and micronutrient box that a lot of people don't tick because fruit especially in a traditional bodybuilding diet is very like it's not seen you know it's chicken and rice and veg it's not it's not fruits is it really so trying to get in a decent amount of fruit is something that i would really recommend and uh i'd like to see more people having a little bit more fruit to be honest obviously Vicky put up a story the other day of like someone recommending 6kg of fruit. I'm not sure whether how true that is or not, but uh, I wouldn't have 6kg of fruit, that's for sure. I think that's a little bit too much, but uh, I'd be having as much fruit as you can get in without affecting your digestion in a, ne in a negative way, and I think for a lot of people that's that's a, that's a decent amount. You could probably get in at least like a, a kg of fruit a day um, without too much issues, okay? Obviously, top end of off-season, going to be a lot harder might be relying more on fruits and greens powders but there's not an excuse not to be able to get in a banana or an apple somewhere you know and actually like finding a finding fruits that you like and you enjoy and that taste good is is pretty important in my opinion okay so final or oh, i'm going to take a few more questions so one of the questions was will i take another two-year off season again in 2020 um or after 2020 should i say so yeah, I think, to be honest, like the way in which I would do this approach to having an off-season would be replicated, considering what would happen. I mean, obviously, it totally depends on what happens in 2020 in terms of the 
the successfulness of the prep. So if the prep goes super well, then I'd be inclined to, you know, essentially use what I got. If I get what I want, I'd be inclined to use what I had. Depending on health markers and how the prep went, I'd be tempted to compete the year after. It just just would depend on so many things. So I will see. I will absolutely just see and respond. But if I could replicate the consistency and uh, the enjoyment and just the the general day-to-day, like how this off-season has gone, if I could just do it again and have more productive, like two years of training, then I'd absolutely do that. I mean, like touch wood, like throughout this off-season, I've had very few hiccups in the grand scheme of things. Like considering what people... Some other people go through like a very few hiccups, so I'm I'm pretty happy to be honest. So yeah, I'd I'd probably replicate it, um, but it does really just depend on the result and what comes out of of 2020, and I will just go from there in terms of making my decisions moving forwards. Also, someone else asked about whether I'd compete abroad, so whether I'd compete in uh, Denmark, it was specifically. So I have no reason why I wouldn't do that. Obviously, through the UK FBA. The actual show that I do, the Northern show, is usually a a qualifier for a Denmark show. So if I was good enough to do that, like do the Denmark show, then absolutely I would never say no to competing in something like that. Um, so yeah, usually the Northern, which is the one that I do probably plan on doing tentatively. Obviously I haven't really set anything in stone yet, but tentatively that's the one that I'll do. Usually ends up being a qualifier for, I think it's the SMBF. If I don't, If I get that wrong... This guy, this guy is going to kick my ass because I think it's pretty much his federation. So, but yeah, I have no reason why I wouldn't and I'd love to go and visit Denmark and I've heard good things from Dan Lampard and David Old who went out there last time. So yeah, I have no, have no reason why I, why I wouldn't, why I wouldn't do that. Um, actually, Dan, Dan and uh, David went out in 2017 in my year. So I'm not sure who went last year, actually. I think it was maybe Levi Walker and Chris Paling, I think, who went last year. So yeah, if I do well at the Northern, maybe. But again, I think it's usually the overall winner at the Northern that goes and uh, I'd have to beat the middleweight and the heavyweight for that. So we'll see. So cardiovascular work in, in gaining phases, absolutely. Like this is something I feel pretty strongly about now in terms of the effectiveness of that and the importance of it. So not only do we see potential improvements in recovery from just a, a lowered resting heart rate, improved HRV as a result, and just generally like being able to move in the gym like yesterday on legs i did a set of 17 on a pendulum as a back off and i can categorically say i would not have been able to do that set if i was at my previous level of fitness and generally day to day i just feel so much better so much better like i get way less hits of fatigue i get you know i just feel more energetic doing cv I don't feel as sluggish, like, towards the back end of the last push-up, when I was doing no CV, I I felt really quite bad some days, to be honest, just in terms of my general fitness and how that was dragging my mood and my general energy down, so I would say that absolutely, and the way that I would do that, if anyone's interested, would just be purely off days, um, focusing on doing probably upwards of, of like 60 minutes on an off day, at, you know, potentially anywhere between 120 and 150 BPM, like just getting a lot done. Like if anything, 60 minutes of aerobic work is 
is probably like given the research on lowering resting heart rate it's probably the one of the best ways to go about doing things if your goal is to improve aerobic capacity and keep resting heart rate low is is longer periods of time working at that threshold of 140 one sort of 140 bpm and above i would say that 45 is probably what i'll stick to as i'm really i'm really liking that sort of 45 mark it's not so long that i feel like i'm just completely bored and it's enough to to produce a good result i mean i've i've seen it like my resting heart rate prior to this mini cut was close to 70 bpm and now it's like 45 so the the change is drastic um and you know like danny told me like you just need to stay consistent with it and you'll see it you'll see it drop and it was slowly dropping 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 but it was and i could just see it just coming down and down and down in my data so i would say if you're currently a position where you're not that fit get a fitbit on get an apple watch on or a polar or something um track your your waking heart rate and your resting heart rate and just see where those markers are at introduce some cv work and just see how you feel and obviously try and avoid the interference effect as much as possible so if you're going to do it on an off day ideally just do it first thing in the morning get it done so you can have the rest of the day getting in food resting up recovering and getting ready for your next session and, and like i said avoiding that that interference effect as much as you can so that's that and i will take one more question on leg training so leg training it is on how can you basically build great legs without the range of equipment that i have so probably people are seeing like the fact that i can train on atlantis pendulums and hacks and cybex hacks and trust me guys i didn't usually have that like i don't think people will realize that for three years Three, three and a half years, I trained in underground, which is Jack, uh, Jack can attest to this. It's not the, the, the best equipped facility ever. The hack isn't brilliant. The leg press is pretty awful. Um, they've got a new vertical leg press, which is a lot better, and they're getting more kit, which is great. So they're investing, which is needed. Um, but it's not the best equipped gym. But I made it work, you know, I just made it work. And I focused on movements that felt pain-free, but also felt good activation, and I, I did a lot of back squats, to be honest, for a lot of my prep. And I think when you're a bit, like, when you're a little less strong at them and you're not in an off-season phase, so pre-contest, dieting down, doing back squats, probably not the end of the world because the the weight is lower and thus the, the systemic fatigue that you're, you're gathering from the back squat is a little bit less. But I would say just find movements that you can re really, really connect with. Uh, try and find a gym, if, if possible, that has some decent quit, uh, equipment, equipment that you can you can hop on at least once per week. I've even said to some of my clients that train at like Exercise for Less or The Gym or Pure Gym, I'm like, is there one gym that you could maybe travel to like once a week that's a bit better than this? And it sometimes confuses me as to why people that are very, very, very experienced with training, very experienced, and wanting like elite levels of results, still train at the gym or pure gym. And they're like, well, it's okay, it does the job. And I'm like, you haven't experienced what good kit is like. You haven't experienced a prime leg extension. Like even things like a leg extension, like a good leg extension makes such a difference. It really does. Until you, until you feel it and you know what a good leg extension or a good leg press is like, especially for someone with a weak body part, a stubborn body part, you don't know what you're missing. You really don't. And like, even me, like now I, I like, I compare like a, because I know more about resistance profiles and where we're weak and where we're strong in terms of strength profiles of muscles on particular movements. 
now I can look at machines and, and be more analytical and think, okay, that's shit or that's good or we need something here to stabilize that or we need a band here to assist here or we're, we're strong here so we need to load here or like, you know, thinking like once you have a bit more of a, an understanding of biomechanics and the way we move, then maybe you'll start to realize that a lot of the machines you're using in your typical pure gym or the gym is just absolute shite and they're not doing anything for you. Um, or not, well, not doing anything. They're not doing as good as they could if you had a good piece, good equipment. All right, so I'll leave it there for this week, and that'll be me done for a couple of weeks on the podcast. So I'll be back soon, promise. Um, hope all is okay with you guys. Let me know, as always, if you have any sort of additional questions off the back of any of these. Please share it, as always, on your stories. If you get an opportunity, that would be gratefully appreciated. And I will see you back soon for either... An update with me and George, me and Danny, or Solo25. All right, guys, thanks again, and speak soon. Bye.